Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Tearing Up Your Ticket to Tarshish by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, we do celebrate you this morning as our Father. Thank you for how good you are to us. You are our Father. Yes, you are God, but you are our Abba Father. Today as we open your word, we desire to hear your voice, Father. And I pray that you would speak to each one of us this morning in your wonderful name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, could you meet me in the book of Jonah? We're going to begin our series in September on reaching out. It's my encouragement uh, that as a church, we would look to reach out to those who are lost. But uh, my heart is that we would grab the philosophy of we are trying to impact earth with the power of heaven. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus has asked us to do. The Great Commission is about Jesus legislating to us to pass on heaven's legislation here on earth. So that's the, that's the Great Commission. As we come to reaching out and as we come to the book of Jonah, uh, for those who don't know, I'm a huge fan of Jonah. Um, uh, of all the prophets, there's something different about Jonah, and I'll get to it in a moment. It's actually got nothing to do with fishing. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, there is a verse here that says the Lord appointed a great fish. He's yet to do that for Reuben, but he's done it a few times for me. Uh, he's not in here, but he'll, he'll, he'll get the gist. Uh, uh, back when I was fit enough to play AFL, uh, I had a couple of friends in a church circles that said, hey, look, we've got a basketball team. Have you ever thought about playing basketball? got to be honest, I hadn't thought about playing basketball, Robin. But I thought, you know what, I'll give it a go. So I turned up and uh, <laughs> let's put it, putting it mildly, I played two games and the ref said, look, as a basketball player, you make a great football player. <laughs> I was unaware that you're not allowed to hip and shoulder people in basketball. <laughs> I was unaware that you have to sneakily get people, get the ball off people. And I learned something about basketball uh, that we didn't have uh, in AFL, and it's something that's common to NFL. I actually don't mind NFL either, but uh, I noticed that there's a thing they call a timeout. Uh, the coach at any point in time is allowed to call a timeout. You're not allowed to do that in Aussie rules, but uh, if the coach is sitting on the bench and he doesn't like how the course of play is going, or if he has to get an urgent message to any one of his players, if he wants to change the course of the game, he calls a timeout. You're allowed three in basketball. They exhausted that before the first bell when I was playing. (laughs) Sean, you've got to stop doing that. And... Uh, you, you can call it COVID if you like, <laughs> but God has handed down a timeout. I'm not saying God caused coronavirus. He can answer that when he likes, but I do believe that God is calling a timeout on the church. I do believe that God is calling a timeout in current culture. And when I was thinking about this, Singing, you know what? God's done it once before. There was a time in history when God called a time out. <laughs> and it was the time of Jonah. We're going to see that God calls a time out on Jonah. But as far as and a few messages ago, I preached on the fact that I no longer pray for revival. 
Uh, I'm no longer asking God to revive us because a revival is God revive us back to where we were. And I'm going to be honest with you, if, if where we were pre-COVID and all that sort of stuff, is it, if that's revival, Lord, don't revive us, please reform us. And I believe God has called a time out on the church. And as we work our way through the Reaching Out series, I need you to grasp this sentence. The most important thing you can understand moving forward through Reaching Out is without God, we cannot. But without you, he will not. Without God, we cannot Without you, he will not. There's a, there's a huge elephant in the room of the book of Jonah. Most of us know the story. Sunday school's kind of violated it a little bit. It's all about the fish. That's not what it's about. But we're going to see there's an enormous elephant in the room. Why didn't God just go and get somebody else? Why didn't God just move on to the next person? We'll answer a few of those questions as we work our way through. We're going we're gonna to work our way very, very quickly through the book of Jonah. We could spend three, four weeks in the book of Jonah, but uh, today I just want to spend one message, one week on the book of Jonah. We'll move through very quickly. If you've, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to start in chapter one, right at verse one. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now, many scholars, there are a few that try to say this isn't well, this didn't really happen. This is, this is a parable put in Scripture for us, but that's not what Jesus thought. Because when the adulteress, he said, and hypocritical generation was seeking a sign, he said, I'm not going to give you any sign. If you're in the habit of asking God for a sign, be careful. He said, I'm not going to give you any sign. He said, but I will give you one generously. As Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. What's he saying? The greatest sign for all of mankind is the empty tomb. They still cannot find the body of Jesus, just for those that are wondering. You you can't find the body. Now, this is not a parable, but there is something enormously different about the book of Jonah. You see, every prophet that is in the Old Testament, we see that it is a recording of their prophecies. Yes, we get a glimpse into their life. We get a glimpse into the life of Isaiah and Jeremiah and those, but it is basically the recordings of the message of God through them. That's not the case here in Jonah. Jonah, Jonah's message comprises, we will see, five words in the Hebrew. That's all it comprises of. And yet, what happens in this book is to this day, the greatest revival that history has ever seen. Every single person repents, including the cows. If my sister-in-law is listening from Tasmania, including the cows. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Jonah's not a fictitious character. You can look in 2 Kings chapter 16. You will see that Jonah is prophesying in the time of Jeroboam II. Jeroboam was an evil, wicked king over Israel. And what does Jonah do? We get a snapshot into his character very early. The snapshot is he prophesies favorably to Jeroboam. You're going to have great conquests. You're going to overcome all these cities. (laughs) It's not very long later that we read Amos also prophesies to Jeroboam, but he reverses Jonah's prophecy. You see, Jonah had an inkling to kind of try and please the people. 
will say what's favourable. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise. Now, if there is one word, I believe, that is for the church today, God says it three times to Jonah, and I believe it's the word to the church today. It's the word arise. But he says to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Now, Nineveh was the capital of an empire called Assyria. And Assyria had already overcome the ten tribes of northern Israel. They had been taken away in judgment. Isaiah prophesies that through his prophecies. Jeremiah brings the prophecies of the destruction of the southern two tribes, Benjamin and Judah. Jonah was alive at the time when these conquests were going on. Jonah knows that the people in Nineveh are evil people. They are wicked people. They are sinful people. They have no regard for God. They are secular. They actually have many gods. And in many ways, I've just described Brisbane. Apart from the cows. Jonah's asked to go to the greatest city, considering, most scholars say, the greatest city on the planet at this point in time, and he's asked to call out against it. He's asked to take a stand, interestingly enough. But let's, this story takes an amazing turn here in a moment. A call out against it for, the, for their evil has come up before me. Nothing escapes the eyes of God. Verse 3. Terry, I like most buts in scripture. I don't like this one. Verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Now, I'm not going to read any more because the next part is, is an enormous part. But just to give you a geographical idea of what Jonah's done here, God has said, go to Nineveh. If Nineveh is this way, Jonah is going this way. Tarshish is as far away from Nineveh as you can get, and it's even—it's just as far away from where he begins. When the call of God comes to Jonah's life, he runs away from God. He is the—he uh, uh, is the prodigal prophet, running away from God. He is decided. Uh, no, I don't like Nineveh. We're going to see why by the time we get to the end of this. I'm going to ask you a question: Why did why did Jonah run away? He actually answers that question. But here's another really, really important part. Verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The presence of God inhabits the call of God. Often we wonder how it is that we could be so far removed from the presence of God, but it's not God who has moved if if we desire to see more of the presence of God, if we desire to be able to experience more of the presence of God, God's presence is in his call. God has called the church to go and make disciples of all nations. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, And he found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare. He went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4. Time for God to call a time out. 
But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. This is God calling a time out on Jonah. This is, this is Jonah's running away. This is God loving Jonah too much not to interrupt him. Uh, I don't know about anybody else here, but I can look over my life and I know there's been times when God's called timeouts on my life. When God's called, you're going the wrong way, uh, it's time, I, I, I need to speak to you. I need to download some stuff to you. We need to, we need to change the course of play here. God is in the habit of interrupting people. Let's, let's take a look at a couple of examples. Abraham. Abraham is just minding his own sanctified business. And something we need to hear about the call of God is that when God comes to Abraham and says, up and leave, does anybody know where God told him to go? He just said to go. In the beginning, when God called I have to use the correct term, Abram, because he wasn't Abraham then. When God called Abram, he didn't make a covenant with him first. He didn't say, gather the elders. He didn't say, hold a prayer meeting and have a think about it, see what you reckon, weigh up your options here. No, no, no. He said, Abraham, get up and go. Didn't even tell him where he was going. Didn't even tell him how it was going to pan out. Many of us are sitting around saying, God, when you give me all of the jigsaw puzzle, Then I will step out. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said that faith is taking the first step in the dark. When you can't see the whole staircase. Let's take another example. Moses. Now, for those that say to themselves, uh, I'm too old, God would never use me now. God called Moses when he was 80. But... Up until he was 40, he lives in Pharaoh's house. And then we know that after that, there's an altercation and he runs away and he starts tending sheep in the desert. And he's in the wilderness, yet again, minding his own sanctified business. He's out there tending the sheep. He's got a wife. We know he's got kids. They're uncircumcised, but he's got kids. And then God interrupts him by setting a bush on fire. Anybody had burning bush moments in their lives? Moses is just going about his business, no qualms in the world. And then God interrupts him and says, I need you to go back to Pharaoh. And uh, 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 I need you to tell him to let my people go. (laughs) Moses argues for a while. But we know that the, the next 40 years of Moses' life is leading Israel through the wilderness. Moses never enters the promised land because he strikes the rock instead of speaking to it. Moving on, Jesus comes along, stumbles across a couple of fishermen on the shore of the lake and says, follow me. Never says where they're going. The question I have is, when God asks you to follow him, does the destination really matter? We, we are asked to follow a person Follow me. You see, with Abraham, we get a snapshot into Abraham's character too because God says, you know what? Uh, uh, I will be your exceedingly great reward. And Abraham says, I'm in, bro. If I can leave everything and I get you, Abraham says, I'm in. All of the disciples, none of them ever asked, where are we going? And we know that Peter had a wife because later on, 
Paul reveals. Now, these guys left the family business. They left the nets. They left the boats. They left everything on the shoreline. No questions asked. They begin to follow Jesus. Their life is completely interrupted. God throws a time out into the lives of Peter and John and James and all these guys. And their lives are never the same again. But the Lord hurled a great wind. It didn't accidentally blow. You read that right. God intervened and called a time out on Jonah's life. Verse 5, here's what happens. Here's what happens when, uh, when the storms of life come. This is quite often what happens. Verse 5, then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. You see, uh, when the storms of life come and when, when the boat is threatening to be broken up and when things look terrible on the outside, when all of those things are going on, it is then we will find out who or what your God is. I've seen this, in, I've seen this inside church circles and I've seen it outside here. There are people right now, I guarantee you, I'm having conversations with people and I bet you you are too, with people that are, are, are clambering and hanging on to a God that doesn't, that doesn't exist. You see, when the boat starts a rocking, then we start to know who the who your God is. But where's the man of God? We have a man of God on the boat. The boat's hit a storm. It's threatening to get broken up. These guys are starting to throw cargo off. and They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and it lay down and was fast asleep. At church, it's time to wake up. Our call as a church is not to sit in comfortable buildings. Our call as a church is not to come each and every Sunday, uh, for want of a better term, to have our pillows fluffed and, and to have us all pumped up and walk back out. Our call is to be equipped for the purpose that God has for you in this world. And if for those that were here on Wednesday you will begin to understand that everybody here has a purpose. We, uh, on Wednesday at the Combined Life Group meeting, we were talking about spiritual gifts and everybody's like, I want to know what my spiritual gift is. That's a great question, but I actually think it's the wrong question. Because what we really should be asking is, what is my purpose? Because the spiritual gifts serve the purpose. What has God put me on this planet for? Jonah's running away, the boat's breaking up, he's down there asleep, comfortable. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper, arise, call out to your God, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Verse 7 says, they said to one another, come let us cast lots. Casting lots was actually a great act of faith. Uh, Casting lots is the equivalent of throwing dice today. And uh, basically what happens is when people were trying to make a decision or find out uh, something, they would, they would cast lots to find the answer. And Proverbs 16 says that God controls every lot. In other words, Proverbs 16 is saying that God controls every roll of the dice. And when they're rolling the dice, they're saying, I'm trusting that God holds the answer and God controls every roll of the dice and God will answer us. Great, great act of faith. The, the disciples or the apostles cast lots in Acts chapter 1 to find out who should replace Judas. 
great act of faith. We may know on whose account this evil has come upon us, so they cast lots. Coincidentally, the lot falls on Jonah. Come with me down to verse 11. And they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quieten down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Jonah says to them, he says, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. And some commentators have said that this is selfish old Jonah, that rather than go to Nineveh and rather than preach to Nineveh, he would rather just die. But I don't read that here. Other commentators don't read that here. This is Jonah going, you know what? Uh, 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 the only way you're going to solve this is get me off the boat. I'm the problem. Get me off the boat. Throw me into the ocean. If God wants me to live, I'm going to live. If God wants me to die, then I'm going to die. Jonah had an understanding of the sovereignty of God. God is in control. He does as he pleases. But have a look at what the response from the boat owners is, and the sea will quieten down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Uh, something very important here. Uh, God didn't call Jonah to Tarshish, but he didn't call Jonah to go back to where he was either. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. Verse 14, therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They've got better theology than Jonah, these guys. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And verse 17, we're coming to an important part now. And the Lord appointed a great fish. You know, our lives are full of divine appointments. They seem like random coincidences, but uh, if you talk to Esther, there's no such thing as coincidences. Esther found herself married to the king, and she also finds out that there's a plot to eradicate the Jews. I'm paraphrasing now. I'm using uh, the SW version. But uh, she kind of realises that there's a plot to kill the Jews, and so they come to her as well, and they say, look, you're in this position. Uh, it sounds a little bit like this. Uh, they realise that she held a position and they come to her and they say, look, you're in a position for just a time as this. Esther, you're in the right place at the right time to have the right influence over the right person to save us. And she said, well, basically paraphrasing again, Esther says, look, you know, uh, I, I would dare not approach the king because the, the king had many wives. Uh, God bless him. But... Uh, uh, God save him. God protect him. But, but she said, I wouldn't go before the king. That'll cost me my life. You don't go before the king on your own basis. You have to be asked. And so therefore, I, I, if I'm going to do this, you guys better get down and hold a prayer meeting. And he says, you've got to fast for three days before I go before the king. And if you know the story, you know that she was there for such a time as that. And... 
I want everybody in this room to know you are here today for such a time as this, that you could have the right influence over the right people at the right time that some might be saved. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. I prefer my fishing to go the other way. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, but I have caught fish as big, big enough to swallow me. <laughs> Listen. I think we need to clarify something. Uh, The Ten Commandments say you shall not bear false testimony. It doesn't say you can't lie when it's for the good of an illustration. (laughs) I'm joking. Uh, But I love chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Didn't wait until everything was over. Didn't wait. No, no. He prayed to the Lord his God. But what I love is what the translators have done here. Um, My foster mum, God bless her, uh, my foster mum's name is Mari. Well, I better clarify. I call her Mari, and everybody that is close to her calls her Mari. But if she receives a letter in the mail, it's Caroline Mari Grant. Now, if you want to evangelically tick her off, you call her Caroline. In fact, one of her sons, whenever he had an argument with her when he was young, he would climb up the roof and go, I'm not listening to you, Caroline. I'm not listening to you, Caroline. Oh, he listened when he came down. Uh, she was the kind of lady that could spank you, and she didn't use words. She spelt the word, I O U. It was, you know, it was. Now, when she goes to the doctor, the doctor calls her Caroline, and if she goes to any formal meeting, or depending on the wait for it now, the relationship she has with the person depends on how they address her. Now, the names of God, God has many names in Scripture and none of them are used accidentally. El is a name for God. Uh, Elohim is a name of God. Adonai is a name of God. But there's one name that the translators stumbled over. It's called Yahweh. Forgive me, Lord, if I haven't pronounced that properly. Do you know that the Jews would write the word Yahweh and then burn the pen? Translators get to this word and they go, you know what? We read that in the Hebrew, but we don't know how to put that in English. So they said, every time we're going to get to this word, we're just going to have Lord with a capital L, all capitals, Lord. And it's interesting because Jonah's in the belly of the fish right now. And the name he chooses when he talks to God is Yahweh. And Yahweh was the God who walks with me. It was a close, personal affectionate name that the Hebrews used to reference God. Isn't it interesting how a man that has been on the run from God got violently interrupted by God, got thrown into the sea, got swallowed by a fish. He's like, what am I going to tell my grand- What am I going to tell the wife? Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, from the belly of the fish, he realised that it didn't matter where he was, listen to the verse part of this, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, Hebrew for the place of the dead, I cried and he heard my voice. In other words, it doesn't matter where I am, the presence of God is right here. I can't get away from this guy and I can't get away from this call 
We're going to touch on that in a moment. Uh, J.I. Packer, when you come to verse 9, J.I. Packer, one of the greatest theologians, passed away in recent months. He said you could hinge the whole Bible on this verse. Everything that happens before and everything that happens after, you could hinge it on this verse. One of the most important verses, he said, in all of the Bible. It's chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 9, which says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation is a work of God. If we are going to impact our community for God. We are vessels. He is the one that does the work. It is his power. He is the one that opens people's eyes. He is the one that heals sick bodies. He is the one that unchains people's hearts. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah comes to this point. And of course, chapter 2 finishes, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Now, Chapter 3, verse 1 is probably one of the most important parts in the story of Jonah. There's people sitting here this morning that have probably said, you know what? You know, Pastor, I really felt the call of God in my life at this point in time, but here I am, I'm dilly-dallying around six, seven, eight years later, and I still feel like, I feel like I've missed it. I had my opportunity and I've missed it. God's, God's passed me over. God's going to find somebody else. God, for want of a better term, it's kind of project manager mentality. Uh, when I was in the forestry, I had a project manager mentality. It, it worked something like this. Uh, I give you this job to do. If you don't move, do this job, I move on to the next person. Uh, God's not a project manager. In fact, the scripture says that the callings of God are irrevocable. Chapter 3, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Interesting part is the word hasn't changed. And there's something about repentance because Jonah's been going the whole time towards Tarshish and he thinks he's putting an enormous distance between him and God. I've got a long way back. How far could... But he repents and he learns something. That when he turns around, God is right there. And God just says, okay, now that you're heading in the right direction... Let's just pick up where we Where were we, Jonah? The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Oh, arise. There it is again. Hello. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Very important. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, listen to the message here for a moment, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. What a preacher. No beginning, no middle, no end. What a message. Have a look at the preparation this guy's put in. There's no offer of a problem. There's no remedy or solution. And there's not even a mention of God. Don't say that's like... Some pulpits today, Pastor, just keep going. Yet 40 days, that's more in English than it is in the Hebrew, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He walks through Nineveh telling them, yet 40 days it shall be overthrown. No mention of God, no sermon prep, no keynote slides, no worship team. Chris Tomlin was on holidays. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. If you read the rest of chapter 3, it will tell you that even the king gets off his throne 
and says no food is to touch any lips, including the cows. No food is to touch any lips until we've all repented. That's conversion. Conversion's not repeat after me these fancy few words. Conversion's not uh, hold my hand and give Jesus your heart kind of thing. Conversion is a radical change in direction. That's what conversion is. It's called repentance. William Booth said that one of the greatest dangers, he listed many others, one of the greatest dangers of the 20th century would be that we would have salvation without repentance. Repentance does not mean you are perfect. Repentance doesn't mean you're not going to make any more mistakes. Repentance doesn't mean that you're completely holy and perfect and all of those things. It just means your life's going in a completely different direction. They repented. When God saw what they did and how they had turned from their evil way, end of chapter 3, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. Now there is a, we're coming to a climax now. In chapter 4, we're going to answer two questions. First question we're going to answer is, why did Jonah run in the first place? And the last question we need to answer is, what's all of this story really all about? What is the message? What is God trying to get through to Jonah? And what does God want us to grab from the message of Jonah? Well, we'll, we'll finish that off in chapter 4, but let's begin with verse 1 of chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah. What? No sermon prep. Five-word sermon. Best results you could ever hope for. What kind of a preacher is displeased at that? But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Ah. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God. You're merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. What's Jonah saying? Jonah saying, Jonah saying, I know, and I knew you sent me here, you'd have grace on these people. C.S. Lewis is on the outskirts of a conversation. There's some scholars and theologians that have joined a bit of a discussion group and they're talking about what is the major point of Christianity that separates Christianity from everything else. And C.S. Lewis is listening to the, 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 the offers on the table and he, he pipes and he says, excuse me, he says, but this is quite simple. He said, the difference, the main point of Christianity and the difference is grace. You see, it's under the... It's under grace that we, we understand that every religion of the world paints a picture of man having to strive after God, but it's because of grace we see God striving after the hearts of man. Grace is God showing you favour and mercy when he doesn't have to. For I knew that you're a gracious God, and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and you're relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Whenever God questions you, he's not looking for information. In the, in the garden, let me put it in kind of 20th century lingo for you. When, when God says to Adam, hey Adam, where you at? It wasn't like, hang on a second, God's gone, hang on, where did I put that bloke? That's not what happened there. But what God does when he asks him a question is, he opens up Adam's heart. What, what are you doing over there, Adam? When Jesus said to the disciples, yeah, but who do you say I am? I don't care what everybody else thinks. Who do you say I am? 
Jonah, do you the world will be angry? Verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and he sat to the east of the city. He made a booth for himself, set up a platform. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. He's now set up camp and he's going to wait to see whether God's going to destroy them or not. Now the Lord God appointed, God does quite a few appointing here at the moment. The Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Hmm. So Jonah was exceedingly glad. Jonah's all of a sudden, he's gone from let me die to exceedingly glad. And what has happened is God has allowed a little bit of comfort. Because of the plan, verse 7, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. So God gives all the comfort to Jonah and then God takes it all away. You're playing a game here, God, or you're trying to teach us something. Verse 8, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah. It's like Queensland, you know, in summertime, moves about 4,000 light years closer to the sun. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and he asked that he might die and he said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. God never rebukes Jonah for being angry, by the way. Just challenges him. Now let's see what the Lord's got to say. Verse 10, and the Lord said, you pity the plant, or you pity, or the best way to understand that word pity is you have an, a, a preoccupation or a, a preoccupying concern for the plant. You're preoccupied with your comfort. You, you're all overcome because of the plant. You've got pity and concern for the plant. You pity the plant for which you did not labour, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Now God gets to the point. Should not I pity Nineveh? Should I not have the same concern for Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons, this is an important line right now, who do not know their right hand from their left hand, forget the, and also much cattle. What's God saying? God's saying, Jonah, I give you this plant. It gives you comfort. I take the plant away. You're all concerned and have pity and concern for the plant. You have these emotions. God says, I want you, Jonah, to start being concerned about what concerns me. God says, what concerns me is there's 120,000 people in this great city that don't know their right hand from their left hand. They've never heard my name. They don't know about a God that loves them. And how did Nineveh find out about all of this? Jonah. The story of Jonah, overarchingly, is the story of a man that was called to go to Nineveh and didn't want to go because he had a distaste and a disdain for the people. Jonah was more concerned about his comfort. Jonah was more concerned, we see, about keeping everybody happy. And we can see that in the way that he prophesies to King Jeroboam. And he runs away from God. But the story of Jonah is the story about a wonderful, glorious God that loves us too much not to interrupt us. And I believe God is interrupting the church right now. Time for a refocus. You know when you get in your car after one of your kids have driven it or drove it? Depends on what part of Tasmania you're from. 
You, you get in the car and you turn the car on and there's some radio station you've never heard of. <laughs> Building out, what the? And so you, what do you do? You've got to refocus. I think God's like, you know, you've got to, got to retune. You've got to do a little bit of refocusing. I, I, I don't believe revival is what the church needs. I believe interruption. I, I wanna, I've got some great news for everybody in this room. I want you to know that at the top of my prayer list for some years has been that God would interrupt every person in this room. <laughs> and, that it, and I remember having a conversation with a local pastor that rang me up and said, Phew, what's going on here? I said, hang on, slow up the bus for a moment. Uh, everything that COVID is, that's happening under COVID, he said, just, I said to him, I said, it just might be what we've been praying for for years. We want God to shake us up. We want God to realign us. We want... We want to come into the presence of God. You've got to come into the call of God. Maybe as individuals, we got off track. Maybe as churches, we got off track. Maybe we put importance on too many things. And please come on the 27th if you want to hear what I feel is important. But maybe, maybe we placed importance on, on buildings. Maybe we placed importance on the size of the worship team. Maybe we're placing importance on things that make us comfortable. Uh, I'm greatly challenged by our friends in the Philippines. Uh, time and time again, typhoons hit that church, wipe it out. And the next photo we get on Facebook is them standing there. No building, no nothing. But they're going to have church no matter what. God bless them. But they're teaching us a lesson. Amidst all the COVID, their concerns in the Facebook posts has been that we just can't reach everybody. They're not letting us move about like we used to be able to and we can't reach everybody. What a beautiful concern to have. Uh, my prayer is that God would interrupt every person in this church. My prayer is God interrupt me. I believe that we stand a, a, at a great opportunity. As one anonymous quote comes through, it says, never waste a crisis. And I think we're in an opportunity right now when everybody that doesn't normally go to church is looking inward. That's what happens, you see. Whenever you rock the boat, people start looking to what it is that they've built their life on and people are finding some sand. We have an opportunity to point them in the right direction. Maybe it's time for us to be concerned with what God is concerned about. Let's pray. Father, each one of us here have a testimony of a God that saved us. I want to pause for a moment and I want to thank you that you saved us, that you redeemed us, that Jesus, you are our high priest that intercedes before the throne of heaven for us right now. Thank you, Jesus. But in the same way, I know that you are a God who can save our family members, that you are the God that can save those children that we pray for, that you are the God that can save those people we work with, and that you are concerned for our family members, you have concern for our workmates, you have concern for those we go to school with, and you have concern for those we sit next to in church. Father, I pray that you would realign every one of us that every person in this room would step into the purpose you have for them and step into the call of God that you have for them. 
we remember that Jonah simply obeyed, spoke five words, and your power hit people. We pray that your power in the same way would hit this city, would hit those relatives that we pray for, those sons and daughters that we're praying for, those Lord, we pray. We pray for the kids that come to our youth group because we believe that you're a God that can impact their lives. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. Father, today, I pray that your kingdom would come in this church and in this city in your glorious name. Bring people closer to you. In your wonderful name. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.